you yourself said that you had been taken to the hospital in a straight jacket. What fucking year is it? Are, <laughs> like, seriously, yeah. what's next? A fucking lobotomy? You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. I'm your host, Hunter Keegan. The show is now officially one year old, and we're back with another incredible series of interviews with individuals who live with serious mental illness, also known as SMI. Namely, we focus on bipolar disorder and conditions that occur comorbidly with bipolar disorder. This show is all about educating the public about mental health and well-being, exploring the wild and beautiful minds of neurodivergent people, and creating a sense of community. You're never alone, and together we will learn about and navigate this insane world of SMI. We've already had dozens of amazing guests come on to share their lived experiences with SMI, and this next series of podcast installments will be no different, except for one key thing I can share with you at this time. Bipolar Recorder is going to begin featuring full-fledged mental health professionals, for this series of installments, we will hear not only from individuals with lived experience with SMI, but from professional mental health care specialists who have offered to share their expertise and insight for the show. However, for now, for this latest installment, this reawakening of the pod, I wanted to start by having a good old-fashioned peer mental health chat. So a good friend of mine named Megan Maureen came on for an interview. Megan is a young woman who lives in Texas. Not unlike myself, she lives with bipolar disorder type 1 with psychotic features. Also like myself, she has a day job, but also works on many Moonlight projects, such as recording music, writing books, and advocating for mental health. In this conversation with Megan, I really wanted to focus on psychosis. See, over the last couple of years, Megan has had a couple of really gnarly psychotic episodes, and I wanted to use this installment of the podcast as an opportunity to shine light on what psychosis is really all about and how it can manifest for some people. This episode focuses heavily on manic psychosis, but psychosis can occur during either manic episodes or major depressive episodes when it comes to bipolar disorder. Not all people with bipolar experience psychosis. However, both of the primary bipolar subtypes, bipolar type 1 and bipolar type 2, 
can both have psychotic features. Psychosis within a clinical context means that somebody is experiencing a break with reality. On a very basic level, that's what you can think of it as. Symptoms may cause someone to believe things they wouldn't normally believe, such as that they are controlled by the phases of the moon, under government surveillance, or perhaps being stalked, just to use a few examples. So Megan and I spend a lot of time talking about delusions, which are false thoughts, and also we talk about hallucinations, which are false sensory perceptions, such as sights, sounds, or even smells that aren't really there. Please note that during this episode, Megan discusses a non-traditional treatment method she is experimenting with that involves nutritional supplements. Please remember that we are not offering medical advice on this show. Megan is simply sharing about her own journey and where it's taken her to right now. There are a couple of mild, relative to what we usually feature on the show, content warnings for this installment. Megan and I talk a bit about suicidal depression, we go very in-depth about psychotic symptoms, and also talk about involuntary hospitalization. If those are sensitive topics for you, you may want to consider checking out a different episode of Bipolar Recorder for today. With all of that said, I'm really excited to get started. Let's go ahead and begin with the show. Today, I am joined by Megan. She is a young woman who is living with mental illness, hailing from the state of Texas, and she has been so gracious to join us today. I can't wait to speak with her. She's not just a friend of the show, but a friend of mine, someone who I've had a lot of opportunities to work with creatively, and she's just great. So, Megan, I just wanted to turn it over to you for a second, and we can start with the basics. Do you maybe want to just talk about how old you are, what your diagnosis or diagnoses are, and start from there? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for having me. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Um, So like you said, my name is Megan. I am 30 years old. wife and a mother to two children drives me crazy. Um, I, I work full time in like the medical field, like behind the scenes. Um, I homeschool my kids um, with a diagnosis. I think it all started around age 16, but just, just to jump in now, what is the formal diagnosis? The formal diagnosis is bipolar one with psychotic features. Okay. Bipolar one with psychotic features. That's what I have too. We're part of the bipolar one club. Very cool stuff. So I'm sorry, you were, you were saying that the symptoms had started around 15 or 16. Yeah. Started around then, then it, it seemed to have kind of vanished 
stay dormant for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then after some uh, different various traumatic events, um, when I was 26, things started happening, amplifying over the coming months. Um, I got diagnosed January 2019. So you were formally diagnosed in January of 2017 or 2019, you said? 2019, yeah. 2019. Wow. So you've been living with those symptoms for a very long time before you got into proper treatment for them. Definitely, yeah. Um, The majority of the symptoms were really a few months before my diagnosis, but I did experience... uh, minor things when I was like 16. Okay. What kind of minor things would you say that you were noticing? So it doesn't sound minor, but compared to when I was older, um, when I was 16, I faced suicidal depression every night. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seemed to be more at night versus all day. Um, another thing too is I think I might have been experiencing a bit of psychosis because it felt like there was something in the room watching me. Mm. And some people can take that as either spiritual or science, whatever you want to call it. I was experiencing something very much like uh, paranoia, delusion hallucination type of ordeal in my mind um so that was very minor compared to when I got older well minor relative to where it got to but that's still extremely distressing the feeling of being watched of being observed that's really scary paranoid delusions like that are something that I've experienced a lot when I've had symptoms of psychosis. So I think that, yeah, possibly maybe that was a precursor, an early warning sign or something, but we'll never really know, unfortunately, as is the nature of living with this type of condition. You said there was a triggering event that really started exacerbating those more relatively mild symptoms when you were 26. Do you want to talk any about the triggering event? Yeah, so um, one of the events was I had natural childbirth with my daughter, which I didn't have with my son. With my son, uh, he's two years older than my daughter. I had, um, you know, all the pain medication with him. So it wasn't exactly traumatic. With my daughter, ever since then, as well as another traumatic event, um, that's when I really started to go downhill. Um, The other traumatic event was more like emotional. I want to call it emotional abuse, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like abuse is intentional, and I think it might not have been intentional. I think for me, I'm kind of a sensitive individual, 
especially after, you know, like with postpartum depression, I think that also amplifies my feelings to react a certain way in certain scenarios. Um, so I think postpartum depression, lack of sleep, because <laughs> I wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, with the schedule I was on, I I really was staying up all night and I would not go to sleep until like six in the morning. Um, so I think there was a lot of, um, I don't know, there were like little things here and there, but I think they just all added up and my brain just kind of had a trauma response to everything. So... And just to be clear, do you think that the traumatic childbirth was what the trauma response was? Or do you think it it was the emotional abuse or both? I think it might have been both because the emotional abuse, if I'm going to call it that, it had been going on for years, Mm -hmm. you know? Um. I mean, I can't even count how many years, but everything had hit me after my daughter's birth. Mm-hmm. Why? The science behind it, I don't know. I just well, know that that's what happened. I mean, it's a crazy significant life event. I mean, it's a very physical event. It's a very emotional and spiritual event too i i think that having such a major i don't want to call it a stressor but in this situation it was a stressor like that could totally trigger a a major mood episode or another type of episode i i could absolutely see that yeah definitely It, uh, yep, ever since she was born, things just spiraled out of control. I'll say that speaking with young mothers, younger mothers, whatever, um, something that has come to my attention just within like the last six months that I've never thought about as a male, you know, like childbirth is pretty fucking intense. For a lot of yeah. people and a lot of women I, I've heard have told me are like, yeah, like I like I was traumatized from that. That was very, very <laughs> unpleasant or very, very intense or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I wonder yeah. how many people out there are in your very situation. It, it must not be uncommon. Yeah, I um a friend of mine, she had actually sent me something a few months ago. I, I forgot what it's called, but it's it's like it was something called postpartum psychosis, mm-hmm. like truly psychosis induced by postpartum, which I thought was interesting. And she thought maybe that's something that I had, but I'm like, you know, I feel like. Mm, for everything that happened when I was 16, I think, and with my family history as well, my grandmother was diagnosed with manic depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And she also experienced hallucinations. Right. And, and for the audience, manic depression and bipolar are the same thing. Manic depression is just the older term that it used to be called. Um, but that's very interesting that you've, you have a family history of that. Um, do you think it goes back further than grandma or uh, <laughs> is she the culprit? Uh, I know it might, and it, it makes me really like concerned. Like I know they're gone, but I'm concerned about how they lived, how they were treated. Like um, mm. there was this one man long story short he told me there was none of this bipolar back in the day so I hope you go and have a bipolar free day and I just ignored him <laughs> like yeah. you're just I think you're the delusional one sir <laughs> yeah well I mean back even 50 years ago mental health treatment and certainly social stigma looked entirely different but we see it carrying over into today um but yeah people suck there's still a lot of misunderstanding and uh ignorance out there it's really unfortunate the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is we've been mentioning psychosis a lot. I mean, bipolar type one with psychotic features. You've talked about having psychotic symptoms as early as high school. For the audience, for for a formal definition, a psychotic symptom is something that breaks you away from reality. So like a delusion or a hallucination that's making you no longer in touch with reality. But I wanted to ask you, Megan, in your own words, what does psychosis actually feel like? Like, what is the experience of psychosis like for you? Because, quote unquote, break from reality, like, what does that even mean? You know, are we talking like majestic fucking Disney World <laughs> shit or? Uh, I feel like for me, it's, it's a bit of a more of a distortion of what's real or maybe for me sometimes it feels like it's a what do you call it like a third eye being mm -hmm. open yeah or you know there's there's like this whole other world behind what we sense and it's just it's open like I, I sense all of it now with almost all of my senses. Yeah, almost like that feeling of a veil being lifted or maybe a veil coming down. I, I don't even know how I would uh, I would describe that feeling. Some people have told me that the feeling of um, like hypomania, is actually kind of similar to like the come up of a psychedelic mushroom trip. And I actually see that like, I, I don't know if you've ever used that type of thing, but there is like this weird trippy, um, otherworldly 
third eye opening kind of feeling just during the come up alone, not when you're act- well, when you're actually tripping too. But what I'm talking about is specifically during like the first half hour that you've dosed psilocybin. Um, so that's something that's been kind of interesting that I've been hearing. And I think, you know, maybe that's an accurate way to look at it too. When you're experiencing psychosis, do you mainly have delusions and hallucinations or just one or the other? I think they're usually combined because I think it's more the, uh, they kind of work in tandem, but I think the hallucinations prompt me to be delusional about them, Mm -hmm. you know? And then they just kind of go back and forth um, kind of together at the same time. Um, sometimes paranoia is thrown in there, but that one's kind of like a third wheel. <laughs> yeah. So like a delusion would be a false thought. A hallucination would be a false sensory perception, like a false vision or sound or what have you. And when these two things, like for me with my, I've had a couple of really bad psychotic episodes. And the first one was during a period of mania. And when it started, it started off as just delusions. And then over a few weeks, it graduated into also having like really elaborate hallucinations and stuff too. Like it was really scary. And I think that when people hear the term psychosis or psychotic, they think of like Hannibal Lecter or some shit, but really it's not a angry or violent frame of mind necessarily it's like a very disorienting and scary and confusing frame of mind to be in um do you feel that you were traumatized by your psychotic episodes at all have you ever had that kind of takeaway 100 percent, because um when i left the hospital i was there for a good several weeks, um, both inpatient and outpatient. I was put on medication, the whole ordeal. And after a few months after accepting my diagnosis, because I was in denial, um, I I was scared of myself. Um, I was scared of, like, I would have anxiety about the fact that I can hear things see things and even smell things that aren't there. And I just did not want that to happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, the things I experienced, they weren't, um, like you said, they weren't exactly like filled with violence. The, the things I would hear were more like my name or someone saying, hey, mm-hmm. Um there was one time I heard the word knife, but that was it. That's mm-hmm. about as violent, quote unquote, that my um, my hallucinations got. But yeah, it definitely left me traumatized. I was like, nope, I don't want that anymore. 
So what was the hospitalization experience like? Was that because of a psychotic episode? Yes. So I was taken to the emergency room and I was admitted through there. Mm -hmm. That experience for my family was horrible because they didn't let them know that they moved me to a completely different facility. They actually found out (laughs) through a HIPAA violation Mm. that I was moved. But looking back, like pretty much all mental health hospitals, there could be some vast improvements, but at the same time, at that point in time, it's the best place for you to be, even though it's horrible. Um, the outcome at the end of the day is usually good, but getting to that destination is like, wow, (laughs) it could have been a lot less of a bumpy ride to get out of the hospital. What was your ride into the hospital? Like, did you go with family or with cops or how to like by yourself? Oh, my husband and my dad they took me to the emergency room um they had me stay the night the next morning I was in the back of an ambulance and I had the straight jacket on like it wasn't tight it's fucking horrible though it's disgusting that stuff like that is even used against a human being who's in need of medical help yeah I mean that's where I was, though. <laughs> yeah, that's um, where you, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, but that's pretty much it. You know, family took me to the ER, but then the hospital transported me by myself without notifying my family. So it's kind of weird because I would often hear, like, well, you're an adult, so you can handle this yourself as the patient. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why do you think I'm here? <laughs> Obviously, I can't handle everything myself. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here right now. Did they explain to you what was happening, that you were being transferred to a new facility, that your family had not been contacted? Did they tell you when you would be able to contact a family member or trusted loved one? Was there any of that? Like- there, there probably was, but not. I mean, it's with, hard. It's hard to think like, back and remember on specific yeah. things like that. Yeah. But I think overall, no. Yeah. I feel like the answer is no because if that's how I feel does, too. I all I I feel like it was no in my case as well. Like I, I feel like it was totally ambiguous, thrown into a fucking meat grinder. Cops, EMTs, hospitals, doctors, intake people, like fucking scary shit. And people don't understand that like it is like the inpatient hospital experience, in my opinion, is completely draconian, completely off base, not helpful. I would actually argue um against something you previously said, which is, I think in a lot of cases, they're not ideal locations for someone who's in a mental health crisis. 
I think that if there were facilities that existed that were more based around like, hey, this is going to be like low stimulation. We're going to be outside. There's going to be nature. And then, of course, you have the liability issues that come along with all of that. But what I'm saying is that I don't think an inpatient hospitalization experience should be along the same lines as like being arrested and jailed. I have a lot of issues with that. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like they need to think outside the box with these facilities instead of just treating us like cattle <laughs> yeah um cattle that can't even have a proper shower because they're worried that you're going to drown yourself in the shower <laughs> like, um it could be a lot better but at the same time i understand they're, they're thinking more from uh, they they need to think a little more like us <laughs> with like what we actually need versus what they need like they need both worlds need to meet in the middle somewhere yeah i think there needs to be a lot more outreach and communication and dialogue happening between healthcare providers healthcare juggernauts such as for example in northern virginia innova hospital system I think there needs to be more of a dialogue between like those organizations and the actual seriously mentally ill community of people who are in this country. It's not an insignificant number of people. And I think that without the input from the community, then change will never be possible. Shit will still be these old, outdated even counterproductive. Like in my case, my hospitalization left me feeling so suicidal. I didn't know what I was going to fucking do. Um, things need to change. And I think it starts with humanizing these conditions. I think that you yourself said that you had been taken to the hospital in a straight jacket. What fucking year is it? Are <laughs> Like, seriously, yeah. what's next? A fucking lobotomy? Like, what like, What are they doing? What are they thinking? And to be, so you've got that situation. You have maybe a little bit more common of an example, which would be being handcuffed by police for their safety is, you know, because you're so dangerous because, again, you're being stereotyped in being, uh, prejudicialized that's not a word but you're being stereotyped and you're being treated as if you're a violent person when there's no indication that you've ever acted that way sure you might be acting weird you might not be acting coherently but does that mean that you're in immediate risk of harming yourself or somebody else i don't think so i think that there's a lot of societal perceptions that uphold how people are quote unquote supposed to act and i'll start i'll stop ranting now um but that's how i feel about it yeah i would say for me you know my okay i'll let me say it this way um sometimes I'll get a comment on an article 
about someone that did something really criminal or something. And that person who comments on it will say maybe they have a mental illness and they're not medicated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, <laughs> um, mental illness cannot be the automatic root cause of evil in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give an example of myself. So I had intrusive thoughts. I would wake up in the morning. Like there was one time I woke up in the morning with the thought that didn't feel like it was my own, that I wanted to hurt somebody. It was an intrusive thought. And my my own self, this is how it felt. It felt like it was a thought that wasn't my own. And then I had my own separate thought that was like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't Mm want to hurt anybody. Why did I just think that? And I would have these thoughts kind of amplifying. So at one point in the hospital, I was honest about these thoughts because Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, getting these thoughts, it doesn't feel like it's mine. And they, I think at one point they were going to have me be, um, I forget what it's called, but they, they essentially, you were not allowed to request to be let go. Yeah. I forget what that's called. An involuntary um, hold. Yes, involuntary hold. So I had that for a little bit because mm-hmm. I was honest, because I wanted to get out of here the right way. And you're trying to work wrong. with your providers and get the best level of care and all of that. And it, oh yeah, okay. And I'm sorry, continue. Let's hear how no, this worked no. out. I'm sure it went great. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that even though I'm getting these thoughts, it was up to me if I was going to act on it or not. Mm-hmm. So you cannot blame the evil in this world on mental illness. Some people are just evil, I believe. I agree. Whether you have a mental illness or not, that's a that's a separate conversation entirely. Absolutely. Because I have, unquote, evil, intrusive thoughts, but I didn't want them. I didn't act on it because that's not me. Mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, it's not in your nature. And I think also that having violent thought is a completely normal psychological place to be in. Everyone has violent thoughts all the time. It's just that they don't act on them. And people who are in treatment, who are on medication, who are doing therapy, who are taking care of themselves, whatever way they prefer, um, they are proven time and time and time again throughout all these different studies over the years to be at no more risk of being a violent person than anyone else. I was speaking to someone not too long ago while trying to network for my mental health advocacy projects. And I was speaking to this person and he uh, he was interested in the projects I was doing, but he said something that was very offensive to me, which was that um effectively any violent behavior automatically means that that person is mentally ill because 
violence is always a social thing that happens between two people and therefore blah 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 and it was like it was just not making sense to me already and i i should have fucking said something about it but i didn't and these days i'm trying to be more vocal about that like hey there is really really evil stuff and then there is medical conditions that people have that don't make them evil they might make them act different but not in a way that's going to be fucking your day up um i mean just look at all the people driving in traffic like you can't tell me that everyone on the road is violent because they have a mental illness <laughs> yeah yeah is every reckless driver mentally ill i i don't think so probably not i think we're human and that human beings do lots of fucking crazy stupid fucked up shit um but that's not to say that we're all mentally ill. Um, what are some examples of bizarre psychotic thoughts you've experienced? Um, I The major things I would experience was, um, so I grew up, you know, in a religious home. Um, so that kind of trickled over into my adult life as well. Um, I've heard that that can be pretty amplified if you have a mental illness, like I'll just say for, you know, bipolar mania, that can be amplified. So for me, I often thought that there were demons and angels and Jesus and all like mm. <laughs> all this on in my house. And that's why I couldn't sleep because I thought everyone was talking to me um was fighting for me or against me and I felt like spiritual battle was what it felt like day in and day out um so that would you know with hallucinations I would hear things you know I thought demons were talking to me trying to get my attention um so then the delusions of that was kicking in because I thought there were demons there mm-hmm. <laughs> And then paranoia with that too, you know, like, well, I really don't want you here. So I'm paranoid about the fact that there's going to be more of you. Um, uh, what's interesting to me is I used to smell music. Mm-hmm. So whenever like certain Christian songs would play, I would, a sweet smell would come through my phone. And then on the flip side, non-Christian music, a really foul smell came through my phone. But these days, my playlists are odorless. So now I can listen (laughs) to whatever I want without worrying about what they smell like. (laughs) That's, That's amazing. I'm so happy that I'm so happy for you for that um so you're talking about olfactory hallucinations which a lot of people have no idea that that's even a thing but yeah you can smell like aromas and stuff that aren't even there i've never had that happen but i've speaking to you obviously you've had it and there's been a couple of other people on the show who have uh, spoken about that as well 
Uh, so I, I find that super interesting. It is just so crazy what our minds can do uh, when left to their own devices or when some uh, wires get crossed a little bit here or there. Yeah. But I think that something that's really, really hard to think about, and I I reflect on this a lot, is what is it like for you reintegrating with reality after you come down from one of these episodes? Because it's not easy realizing, oh yeah, I wasn't connected to the lunar phases or whatever. You know, uh, I am not a top secret spy under investigation by Soviet Russia. <laughs> the year is not 1983. <laughs> like, shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, it's not easy at all. It's really, really hard. And in my experience, it was really embarrassing. So I was just curious to hear, like, how you think how your experiences with that have been oh it was it was a time a very humbling time and embarrassing like you said because my symptoms I'm a very open book so everything was out on Facebook everything was out at work like so being reintegrated back into societal norms like hey everyone that was a that was just a little show there. Um, no, it was it was really really hard because I have my symptoms being pressed down by these medications that are have their own side effects. Mm-hmm. So trying to act like I had to try to act normal, you know so that people could, you know, understand, like, you know, this is just a mental illness. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really hard. Um, I was overdosed on a bunch of medications so that they could get my symptoms down. I mean, I had... To well, when you say overdosed, do you mean over-medicated? Just to be clear... I was because like um, when I hear overdose, I think like like acute drug intoxication and then dying. Oh, no, no. So I maybe had like a few pills, but I had like the max dose that they could give me. Mm, OK. Um, even though it would like make me sleepy, I would have flat effects where, you know, you can't really show any emotions liquids would spill out of my mouth wow um yeah like it was a really rough year 2019 was like a really bad year for me mm-hmm. but at the same time it was good because I was getting things taken care of with my mental health um but I was also saying that I had child protective services on me as well Cause they, I was not allowed to be alone with my children for like six months. You know, I went from breastfeeding around the clock and it was just, it really, it hurt. But at the same time, 
I needed everyone to know how much I love my kids. So I, I was like, you know, if I need to be on these medications and so be it, if I need to have social workers on me, then so be it. Like whatever I need to do, I'll do it for them. I'll do it. I, I won't do it for me. I'll do it for them. <laughs> so in that situation with, social services and all of this drama and everything in one of our previous conversations you spoke about being required to take medication during that time period as part of a uh, compliance with some sort of agreement or stipulation that cps had put in place what are your thoughts on that now, do you think you ever should have been mandated by the government to take a specific medication despite it causing side effects, like not even being able to hold liquid in your mouth? I mean, I feel like it's it's a very close-minded approach on their part, because what if I preferred more of a holistic approach my mm -hmm. entire life? what is this like went against everything I believed? Um, I feel like, yeah, just closed minded on their part. Um, another thing too, is that I understand they wanted to prevent things from happening, but at the same time, like I have no history of anything, right? only a speeding ticket my entire life mm -hmm. I all things should have been considered and I I do appreciate the not being alone with my children portion because I I didn't want them to see me be suicidal or manic um so I felt like I needed that support as a mother to have someone there at all times but as far as medicine goes, that's that's pretty strict. That's that's <laughs> I don't like that. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Ever ever since you told me about that, I've been thinking about it and it just screams of being fucked up to me. I I, I just have so many issues with that. Um, not to mention these medications are poorly understood in many cases. Doctors don't know how they work. The DSM-5, the diagnostic manual that, you know, all uh, mental health conditions are categorized by in the United States, a lot of the content in there, psychiatrists can't even agree on. And that's supposed to be the formal standard official book. So to think that you could have some layperson in the government saying, oh, well, I think Megan needs to be on a medication prescribed by a doctor so that she can be around her kids. Like that's there's just so many flaws in that train of thinking that really, 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 I don't know how else to put it. It just bothers me. It's very, very disturbing to me. Yeah. Um, they also had me 
which I kind of liked, but they had me do psychotherapies. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also had, which, you know, I didn't need anymore. The doctor said, it seems like you don't really need this. Therapy <laughs> so is awesome. Was, <laughs> yeah, I really liked her. Um, she was great. Another thing they had me uh, do also, I forget what it's called, but basically it's a bunch of tests surrounding like math and English and like problem solving kind of things, I guess, to gauge my, um, I guess, just where my brain is at in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that part was weird <laughs> that they required that. Like, I so feel like they, they, they had you do like a full psychological testing battery to yes. evaluate like anything that could maybe be going on. Exactly. And it's crazy because I would think that these doctors might have said, you know, these are intrusive thoughts. And I feel like they would have a better understanding of that than me mm-hmm. and be able to explain to the uh, caseworkers like he doesn't need all this and that because these symptoms are you know this is the nature of them it's not her nature it's the nature of the illness mm-hmm. but nope it was I was just treated like um, it was just me and I didn't have a mental illness but put me on medication anyway yeah, but try explaining that to a police officer who ha- has barely graduated high school and does not have <laughs> like not to no disrespect to police officers, but like seriously, like someone in like a blue collar profession who has no experience with psychological research, treatment modalities, literature, a doctor trying to explain to someone some of this subject matter is very, very fucking complicated. I have a degree in psychology. It's just a bachelor's degree, but I still know a lot more uh, from a formal standpoint and from a lived standpoint than other people do. And I have to remind myself a lot that not everyone in this country fucking goes to college. Not every, you can't always have like a really technical conversation with somebody and expect them to be able to like fully comprehend and Uh, have the proper takeaways from it it's like if you were to talk to me about a car engine i don't know shit about car engines you're gonna be fucking telling me about like cylinders and like how many liters it has in it and shit i don't know i'm not a mechanic (laughs) but like (laughs) i don't know do you see where i'm going with this i i don't fucking know man no i hear you yeah i mean I feel like, especially even for those already in psychiatry and psychology and everything, even they don't fully get it until, yeah, unless they've been through it, you know. So even then, on their side, it's it's lacking mm-hmm. to a degree. They but, don't under they don't understand like what the feeling of seeing the world die is like Mm -hmm. like they don't know what that whole vibe is um i 
I also, I get really, really concerned about what I've been reading lately with uh, the chemical imbalance theory apparently being mostly debunked. The chemical imbalance theory is the one that says that things like depression are due to excessive or depleted levels of serotonin or dopamine or whatever in your brain, different neurotransmitters in your brain, and that these different pills that we take balance those chemical imbalances out. And like, there's all this research coming out over the last 15 or 20 years that is like, yeah, that's not true. Like the medications are doing something, but it's not because of chemical imbalances. So where the fuck do we go from here? Honestly, I feel like, so I'll, I'll kind of share my experience with medications and stuff, you know, I'm actually on vitamins now Mm -hmm. for a good few months now. I'm, I'm taking this. Um, this is this is not a sponsor, okay? <laughs> this is not a commercial for this. But um, I'm taking something called lithium orotate, which is an over-the-counter supplement. I have a very important disclaimer that I need to share about the following segment. At this point in the conversation, Megan mentions a couple of non-traditional things she's trying to use to maintain her baseline stability right now. She discusses her use of certain vitamin supplements, such as lithium orotate, which is not the same thing as the traditional medication lithium carbonate. They are not the same substance. Please be advised of that. Also note that we are not suggesting that other people try taking any particular course of action in their treatment. Please always exercise due diligence and caution when it comes to treatment for bipolar disorder or any serious mental illness, and consult with a licensed professional if you believe you need to be on certain vitamins or medications, need to have your current medications adjusted, etc. Okay, back to the show. All doctors, they'll be like, I've never heard of that. Or if they have heard of it, they'll say, I don't want to put you on it. I'd rather put you on regular lithium mm-hmm. because work. And the thing is, is that I'm right now, I've been taking the safest dose of lithium orotate for a good few months now. I also make sure I get my sleep. Sleep is super important. So I'm going more about it like from a not so much a chemical treatment, but more of a natural (laughs) environmental treatment. Just like Um, against doctors' guidance. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
like I well let's be let's let me just say though uh just to be clear for everyone we absolutely do not provide medical advice on this show that's not what we're about we're just talking about our experiences and what we're doing and how we're living our lives and how we're currently doing that so don't not listen to your doctor but also live your life in a righteous <laughs> way. Uh, okay, please continue, Megan. Yeah, no, so I, I think the medication was super important to, I think of it this way, I feel like I went through uh, trauma, which caused an injury to my brain. So I needed uh, that support from these prescription meds kind of like a cast you know I was not able to go walking because my like if you want to think of it my bones are broken I can't go walk my bones have to heal in a cast before I can move to a splint crutches a wheelchair whatever so I think right now you know I'm I'm not in need of a cast because I am more healed now than I was in the beginning. Yeah. Now, I do need to keep in mind, though, that I am very susceptible to breaking very easily again. So it's kind of like, do I want to live my life with a cast or do I want to try to play it as safe as I can mm-hmm. while that I may need to go back to that again because I'm just I'm easily susceptible to breaking again yeah so you're approaching it cautiously but you're blazing you're doing it the way you want to do it and the way that you think is safest for you yeah and I will say you know I I have no issue there is no shame in taking these medications there is no shame in taking it for your brain, your heart, whatever. There's no shame in that. The issue that I had was the side effects and the additional medications I was taking to combat those side effects were not working. Mm-hmm. But everyone is so different. All the medications are different. Everyone responds differently to the potential side effects that may occur that, you know, I can only speak for myself, but even though I'm not on medication at this time, I will always be an advocate for it. Mm. But keeping in mind what does and does not work for me, just because of me as an individual. So. Yeah. Well, uh, keep being careful with it. I wish you all the best with that. Uh, if you do feel like you need to get those doctors involved again at any point, you know, I, I fully support that. Um, do you do therapy still? I I tried, but, and this is what sucks. It's not affordable right now, mm-hmm. which is just really fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Um, because if I, I feel like there should be a tweak in the system that makes it more affordable for people who really, really need it. Um, but no, at this point in time, I am not doing therapy. I would like to, 
but it's just not in the budget, which sucks. But yeah. Yeah, I have a private therapist. She is amazing and she is $200 an hour. It is insane. I believe it. It is insane yeah. how expensive it is. And a few times a month of that, like it adds up very quickly. Um, so I, I feel you there. I hope you're able to get into therapy though, because it it's pretty awesome. I really like these days just doing like general talk therapy and just kind of like talking out my problems, hearing a neutral third party kind of like provide feedback or ask questions to help me flesh out my thoughts and ideas more. It's, it's super beneficial for me. So as long as I can keep doing it i'm i'm gonna keep doing it um all right let me see i had i had just a couple more things here for you what is the number one self-care strategy that you would recommend to people right now get your sleep <laughs> get off yeah. your phone get some sleep if oh you have gosh. to turn own do whatever measures you have to take to get your sleep <laughs> yeah no that's like that's probably like the number one best piece of advice in the entire podcast series is just get sleep my sleep schedule has been so fucked up lately i've had all kinds of crazy stuff going on in my life and i've been getting probably during the week like two to three hours of sleep a night and then on the weekends, like last night, I just crashed for like 16 hours. Like it's all over the place. It's so bad. Yeah, I've I've definitely been there. I think for me, um, having a schedule, especially with the kids, um, mm -hmm. having a in my life prompts me to be like, okay, I have to be in bed at this time because I have to be up at this time for not only myself, but for everyone else. Um, I've heard that schedules are really good. Um, do I stick with them? Not really, but <laughs> uh, I plan these things. Sticking to them is another story, but um, yeah, sleep, I would say is number one. Um, because it'll, for me, it triggers mania if it's an ongoing lack of sleep going yeah. on. Um, and the higher you go up, the harder you come down. So, mm -hmm. And then it's just back and forth, back and forth. So get your sleep, get your sleep. Love it. Fantastic advice. And what is your biggest accomplishment that you're proud of at this time? I would say, I, I don't know. I don't really know how to say it. I'm just, I'm just really glad that I'm now at a point where I'm stable on vitamins. I never thought that would be possible, um, but, you know, I do need to be careful, but 
I'm just, I'm, I'm really proud that I, I stuck it all out. It was a really rough three years with side effects. So I'm just, I'm really happy. I'm really proud that, you know, I, I took the time to wean off because if you quit cold Turkey, mm-hmm. that that with these medications and the nature of the illness, quitting cold Turkey is probably one of the worst things you can do. Yeah, you, absolutely. For anyone listening, absolutely do not immediately see some medication that you've been on for a while without talking to your doctor first. Um, you can have withdrawal withdrawal effects that can, in some cases, even be fatal. So you you have to, yeah, be careful. Yeah. So I would say for me, you know, I'm I'm proud of the fact that I I stuck it out. I stuck it the fuck out, <laughs> and um, you know, I just I waited. I was patient. Just took it day by day, and now I'm here. You know, I never thought I would be here. You know, I I feel like myself prior to um my daughter's birth. You know. Wow, I love that. I love that for you. I I um I don't know. There's just something about the way you said that that really spoke to me. Um, I think when we can look back on simpler, happier times in our lives and really be grateful for them and appreciate them and realize how powerful it is once we're able to recapture that, even to an extent, it's just amazing. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What's something that you're looking forward to? Looking forward to I So with having two kids and with weight gain being a side effect of these medications, I'm looking forward to utilizing and introducing more vitamins to help with kind of like how you said earlier, like with um, levels of, I guess, hormones and stuff going on. Um, I'm looking forward to lose, losing pretty much every negative thing that I have gained over the past three years or four years. I can't do math. <laughs> you know, I think these vitamins, that I'm taking, you know, I, I cannot do the low dose for that. Everyone else does. I have to do the the max amount that is safe. Um, so I'm really excited about the fact that I'm losing all the negative things in my life. And I think when I lose all this weight that I've gained, it'll just show physically what's been going on inside of me. Um, so I'm looking forward to Sitting in my pre-baby jeans. I might still have them. <laughs> so I I totally hear you about that. And I mean, when you're talking weight gain on psych meds, you're usually not just talking a few pounds. Like it, it like literally 30, 40, 60 pound, like massive weight gain can occur on some medications for some people. Um, I can't do math either, so don't feel bad. 
<laughs> about that. But I do want to just remind you, and I think you know this, but just um, just for due diligence purposes and the sake of hearing my own voice some more, I'll just say, make sure that you keep your treatment outlook on the future and your schedule and whatever the fuck you plan on doing, just keep it adaptable in case these vitamins, you know, there may be issues with them. You may have to go back on to traditional medication at some point. And I think that what's important, what, from what I'm hearing from you, I think what's important at this stage is to keep very close tabs on what you're taking, how you're taking it, how you're feeling, and also staying in touch with a psychiatrist, even if they're just monitoring nutritional supplements. And I'm not sure if you're still in touch with a psychiatrist or if you're not, or maybe just working with a GP right now or whatever, but psychiatrists can can help monitor vitamin and supplement levels and stuff like that too. And I just want to mention that because it can be dangerous to, you know, go completely off of something. And sometimes, and this is just in my own life, you know, again, just speaking from experience, but sometimes I'll make a change and like, I'll feel like it's the greatest change and I've just been killing it for like six months and then it starts to get weird again and yeah yeah I'll keep that in mind because I think it was more the last psychiatrist I had he was wanting to increase dosages before I even did a trial of the medication I think that particular psychiatrist I'm just like no Mm -hmm. um so, but I think having someone to help monitor is a great idea. So I think I might actually check into that because, you know, I can't just do this all by myself, you know? Right. And I mean, especially seeing as you're not currently working with a therapist, like 90% of the reason I do therapy is just so I can have like someone who I trust and who is knowledgeable to kind of keep an eye on my symptoms, because sometimes I don't even notice that they're happening, you know, so to have like a professional who you could check in with, be like, you know, this is where I am. These are what my thoughts are. The thing is, and this is where it gets really tricky, and and this ties back into like trust in the healthcare system and everything, is doctors are trained to prescribe traditional medications. You're not going to find many doctors out there who are going to be like, oh yeah, an over-the-counter lithium supplement. That's fine. So... Megan, really what I'm hearing from you is that you're living like a fucking rock and roll outlaw doing some wild west shit and staying as safe as you can at all times. I'm a responsible rebel is what I'm being. (laughs) Yeah, you've got to be responsible, especially especially with those kids, you know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience that we haven't already touched on? We're coming up right on one hour. Um, you know, I would say 
just don't give up. You know, there will be there will be hard times, but that doesn't mean those times are going to last forever. Um, you know, I'll I'll just share my story as proof. You know, I had a pretty severe case. Um, and it's like, you know, look where I am now. But at the same time, you need to be mindful that, you know, I was living a quote unquote normal life Mm -hmm. as a mother of two, working my career. I was living that normal life. And then all of this shit happened Mm -hmm. because it's inevitable you know it's just it's it's just my my illness um it's always going to be there but sometimes it'll be dormant and sometimes it'll be very active so you know just there you have to a lot of (laughs) self-reflection a lot of forgiveness too um you know it's not your fault that you have this um it's not your fault that you're thinking these things or experiencing these things um it's an illness very complex illness but if you think of it kind of like heart problems or broken bones you know it kind of helps put into perspective that you know, it's, it's treatable at this time, maybe not curable, but that doesn't mean it won't be in the future. Um, so just keep trucking on. <laughs> <laughs> keep on trucking. All yeah. right. Great. And do you have any music articles social media blogs etc that you would like to plug for the crowd at this time sure so i i am a singer slash songwriter um i do have some stuff on spotify as well as youtube um just look up megan maureen um and you'll find me um, I also wrote a book called Undiagnosed Inside a Psychotic Mind. Um, it's pretty much everywhere online. You can also get it printed if you want. Um, I have it pretty cheap, if that helps. <laughs> um, it's a pretty <laughs> short book. But that book um, really helped kind of capture the logic behind the illogic of what was going on inside my brain. So you kind of see on um, like really what it's like inside a psychotic mind, like what the thought process is and everything. Um, you get a sneak peek into life inside the hospital and interacting with individuals there. Um, that's pretty much all I have. Um, <clears throat> I do have other social media also if you look at my name you'll most likely find me so (laughs) yeah i'll be there for sure and we'll put all of that in the episode description um how long ago did your book come out um i want to say you know it might have been this year i think actually (laughs) i think (laughs) maybe 
we're not sure I, no I I think it was this year yeah um I think I wrote it in like a month because I was like I just wanted to get everything out there as soon as possible before I forget mm -hmm. <laughs> um so yeah I, it it didn't take long to write it and so um self-published because I was like I'm impatient I'm not gonna go the other route <laughs> I'm just gonna self-publish so yeah it's it's been out there since like this summer I think that's awesome. Inside of Psychotic Minds by Megan Morin, right? Yeah. Undiagnosed inside a psychotic mind. Yeah. Undiagnosed inside a psychotic mind. That's a better title than my book. Um, I uh, I hope you keep writing, though. Writing is a fantastic therapeutic outlet. So is music, as you know. Uh, Megan and I have collaborated a little bit here and there over the last year on some uh, some songs and brainstorming sessions and things of that nature, which has been pretty cool. Definitely. It's been fun for sure. I think, you know, I always try to find someone to work with and it never works out. You're probably the only person that it's worked out with so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> you made way cooler than if I was doing it myself. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. Well, I'm always happy to help. That's what I'm here for. And Megan, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm glad that we've been able to officially get you into the Bipolar Recorder archives and have your story up on here. You're welcome back anytime. But thank you so much for taking this time out of your day to speak with me about this hardcore stuff. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's just, it's really nice to speak with people who get it. So that other people, you know, maybe it'll help them get it a little more too. Megan's current approach to self-treatment involving vitamin supplements is non-traditional in nature. Please remember that when Megan spoke about her experiences with vitamin supplements such as lithium orotate, which again is not the same thing as the traditional medication lithium carbonate that is commonly prescribed for bipolar disorder, she was speaking from personal perspective, not recommending that others necessarily try this out. I just want to be very clear about this because this is not a well-researched area that she is experimenting with right now, and I'm a little bit concerned about that, and I've shared this with her, so just for everyone's awareness, you do have to be very careful when it comes to stuff like that. I hope these stories about psychosis helped you understand that psychosis does not equal violence, and in fact is often more traumatic for the individual experiencing it than for the individuals around them. As I was listening back to this audio, a couple of thoughts came to mind. One, 
how can mental health crisis intervention methods be modified to be less traumatizing to people? Two, Megan suffered from severe medication side effects for over a year just so she could stay in touch with her own children. Why does society at large consider it acceptable that people with mental health conditions can be left at the mercy of potentially hidebound, underinformed, and cripplingly bureaucratic government entities such as state social services? Three, when will people start speaking out about these human rights abuses on a larger scale? One way we can get the ball rolling on this is to tell a friend about Bipolar Recorder. These are wild human stories about human beings just trying to make their ways through their throes of human life. Most importantly, though, they are stories of recovery and personal growth. If you like this show enough to want to make a financial contribution to keep things running, I do independently finance this and all other projects I currently work on. Or if you want to potentially be featured on Bipolar Recorder, check out www.bipolarrecorder.com for more information. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thanks again so much for joining me today. Tell a friend about the show. Check out the website. Most importantly, help end the stigma and have a great day, evening, or night, wherever you are. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.